pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, we are your people and thank you that you have gathered us here today and you speak to us as we read the scriptures. We pray now that as we uh, put our mind to these passages, fascinating, challenging, confusing perhaps, we pray that we would see you, Lord Jesus, we would hear again your promises and that we would be challenged and inspired again, that we might serve you in this world. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here. As I said earlier, it's a great uh, pleasure to be with you. Here's the topic, who will stand as we think about Daniel 10 to 12. It would be great if you had your Bibles open because obviously this is a long and uh, and complex passage. We're going to pick out a few bits as we go through and try and get a sense of what is it that God has for us as we come to this part of Scripture. I wonder whether you uh, know who this is. Uh, Australia's favourite gold medalist, uh, uh, Stephen Bradbury. He is the guy at the uh, 2002 Winter Olympics. He uh, won the 1,000 metre speed skating because he didn't fall over. (laughs) Which, you've got to feel a little bit sorry for this guy, don't you? I mean, that's what he is known for, the guy who didn't fall over. Uh, Really, he can can, uh, ice skate faster than any of us can. Uh, He's able to speed skate fast enough to get into an Olympic final. And you've got to say that one of the basic requirements to win a skating race is to keep standing until the end. There you go. Uh, Stephen Bradbury, he was the man who stood at the last. And that's the question that I think Daniel chapters 10 to 12 is asking, who will stand at the last? And you know what? It's a question that is asked seriously by many Christians today. Are you familiar with who this is? This, our sister, Miriam Ibrahim, 27-year-old, South Sudanese citizen, and uh, of course she has, was uh, sentenced to death for alleged conversion to Christianity by the Sudanese government. Uh, born to a Muslim father, but raised by a Christian mother, claims that she was never a Muslim, but uh, uh, that's what she was convicted of. She was also convicted of or or charged with adultery because she had married a man who was a Christian, but because she was technically Muslim, not allowed to marry a Christian in Sudan, and therefore her marriage was ruled to be um, not happened. I don't know what the word is. uh, And she had a child, and so charged with adultery and imprisonment. She was released uh, last Monday and then detained again on Tuesday as she tried to leave the country to uh, get to America on South Sydney's papers. Uh, Last report, she is safely in the US Embassy in Khartoum. And I suspect that for her, there are numbers of days for her and her family where she would ask the question, who will stand at the last? Having pitched my hopes to the Lord Jesus, then will we stand at the end? On average, 
it's estimated 100,000 Christians have been killed for reasons relating to their faith each year for the past decade. That works out at 11 Christians killed somewhere in the world every hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the last 10 years because they love and serve the Lord Jesus as we do. Who will stand at the end? It's such a live question for so many of our brothers and sisters. And you know what? I suspect for us, our personal circumstances will be far less dire than theirs and yet isn't it true that that all sorts of pressures come against us, all sorts of challenges that we face in our personal life and in our reflection on the world that makes us ask the question, is this Christian life still the thing that is worth living? Who will stand at the end? And that's the question that Daniel 10 to 12 asks. As I've reflected on this passage, there's the lyrics of a particular song that, uh, that keep coming to mind. It's by an artist called Charlie Hall. He sings this line, Jesus, come take me away. I long to see your face. This world is broken, yet beautifully made. Jesus, come take me away. Do you ever get that feeling? like oh can we just can we just end it now and take me home and if you have ever felt like that then take comfort because Daniel felt like that okay we come to chapter 10 and Daniel is given this revelation concerning a great war and it leaves him devastated verse 2 says he mourned for three weeks Verse 3, he didn't eat or drink. He didn't even use moisturiser. It was desperate days. Seriously, those who were with him when this vision came, they didn't see the vision and yet they also were left terrified. Verse 8, Daniel says, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. Verse 16, I am overcome with anguish. I feel very weak. My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. And this, my friends, is not an uncommon experience for our Christian brothers and sisters or perhaps for us as we reflect on this world in which we live. Who will stand? Who will stand at the last? It's a theological question, but it's also a personal question. Will I stand? Will I be there? at the last. Jesus may conquer but will I have the faithfulness to last until the end of my days? Who will stand? The answer is given to Daniel in a long vision. Uh, We read just snippets of it, uh, the beginning and the end uh, this morning. From chapter 11 verse 2 all the way through to chapter 12 verse 4 is this long and fairly complex vision of well, a vision of world history. Now, if you're familiar at all with Greek history, then you'll uh, see reasonably clear connections with this period from about 553 to 160 BC. And so uh, you get uh, things like in verse 3, the end of the Persian Empire. Uh, Three more kings and then a fourth is sort of a biblical way of saying coming to the end and you have 
the end of the, the Persian Empire. Uh, that is sort of described here. 11 verse 3 talks about the rise of a mighty king. That seems to be uh, obviously referring to Alexander the Great. This man who at 30 years old ruled an empire that stretched from Greece to Egypt and across to Pakistan. Of course, uh, uh, Alexander dies and uh, his empire is divided up and, uh, and spread among the uh, or parceled out to the four winds of heaven. It seems to be a reference to the, the four generals that uh, take up significant parts of his empire. Verse 5 talks about the king of the south, a strong uh, general, uh, uh, Ptolemy I, the saviour, was his nickname. And he rules from the south in Egypt. And then uh, uh, verse uh, five goes on and tells us about one of Ptolemy's generals, Seleucus the first, the the victor, who becomes strong, and he rules uh, uh, an empire from the north, from Syria. And then in the verses that follow, from six through twenty, there are battles and allegiances and victors, and this period seems to cover the the Syrian wars between the. Ptolemaic Egyptian kingdom and the Seleucids in the north. This battle goes on from, or various battles from 274 through to 168 BC. To and fro it goes on. Eventually it's the Seleucids in the north who prevail and in chapter 11 verse 21 we are introduced to a contemptible person. Historians identify as Antiochus IV. His nickname was the Manifestation of God quite pleased with himself. Now verse 31 uh, of chapter 11 talks about uh, Antiochus setting up the abomination that causes desolation. And that seems to be a reference to this event in, uh, when uh, uh, Antiochus sets up an altar to Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem and offers sacrifices of pigs on the altar, an abomination for God's people. And you can go through and you can sort of trace how uh, there's various historical events that have been prophesied here in this passage. Now I apologise if that makes your eyes sort of glaze over and gives, raises all these sort of repressed memories of ancient history at high school. There's, there's a whole lot more that could be said about these verses. There's a whole lot more that theologians and historians debate about these chapters. Is this really prophecy or is it sort of pseudo-prophecy written after the time to make it look like prophecy? If it really is prophecy then at one point the sort of the, the historical connections break down and we're not sure whether this is talking about things that were supposed to happen in the past or perhaps they're things that are yet to come. There's a lot that could be said but for this morning what I want us to do is to stand back and to and to get the big picture. There's all the details. But rather than getting lost in the details, can we stand back and see, well, the vibe, <laughs> the big picture, the big ideas, and they are these. The first is that there will be war in Israel's backyard. Because, of course, what happens when there is an empire to the south of you and an empire to the north of you and they really hate each other and they're going to fight for centuries, then what's going to happen 
you're going to get squeezed. And that's what this passage says. See with me in chapter 11, verse 14. The violent men among your own people will rebel in fulfilment of the vision. Verse 16. The king of the north will establish himself in the beautiful land, a reference to the land of Israel, and will have the power to destroy it. Uh, Verse 22, uh, a a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. Uh, We've already mentioned verse 31 and the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, The armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress, abolish the daily sacrifice and set up the abomination. And again in verse 41, the king of the north will sweep through them like a flood he will invade the beautiful land there will be war in Israel's backyard and one of the big points of this prophecy is to arm them forewarned is forearmed so the proverb goes and that's the warning that's given to Israel and yet despite that reality they are given the great encouragement that God is the one who is in control Because also repeated in this passage is this little phrase, at the appointed time. It's there in verse 27, again in verse 29, again in verse 35. A related phrase in verse 36, for what has been determined must take place. This is not just a a, a random sort of series of uncontrolled events, but these are events that are working out at the appointed time as they've been determined by God. God is in control of all that is going on in this world, all that is going on in the things that, uh, that face Israel. And therefore, the promise comes that it is God who will stand at the last. So the, word, the verb to stand is the most common action described in these chapters. It's used, this little word is used over 20 times uh, through this vision. It's sort of hidden in our English translations under words like appear, a different king will appear or arise, a, a king will, will, uh, will rise or be raised or, or be established, there'll be a successor. All of these are just versions of the Hebrew word to stand. Another one will stand, then fall, then someone else will stand and fall and another will stand. In this whole sequence of standing, the question comes, who will stand at the last? And if you come to the end of chapter 12, the very last verse of Daniel, then here is who will stand. Daniel, as for you, go your way until the end. You will rest and then at the end of days, you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance. Daniel will stand. But he won't stand accidentally just because everybody else has fallen. He will stand because God will stand. In chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will stand. The victory of God and his forces is what Daniel brings us to. God will stand, God will have this victory, and therefore the people of God will share in God's victory. And you know, as Christians, we hear almost the same three truths. 
Jesus says to us in John 16:33, I have told you these things, that is the gift of the Spirit, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There will be trouble for us as God's people, but we take heart because this is under God's control and Jesus knows what's going on. We face though a greater urgency than Daniel and his people did because we live now in the last days. You know, Daniel was told that he had to seal up this scroll in chapter 12, verse 9. And there's good reason to argue that the, there's a connection between the sealed up scroll that Daniel has given and the opened scroll in Revelation chapter 5 that could be opened only by the Lord Jesus because now we live in these last days. In 1 John, John says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how you know it's the last hour. And John doesn't say that, and I don't say that so that we might be terrified, but so that we might hear again the great promise of God's presence with us and the great conviction that God himself will stand. Daniel, of course, is given this great promise of the resurrection. The first time in the Old Testament that resurrection life is articulated clearly. Interesting, by the way, to think through why did it take them so long uh, to have that as part of their faith for another time. But we are different to Daniel. Daniel's given a promise and we have so much more than a promise. Because we're not just left with the promise of resurrection, we live in the time of resurrection because we look back to see the Lord Jesus. What for Daniel was a theological possibility is for us a reality of our history because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and his resurrection guarantees ours because he stood at the last, so we will stand at the last. For me, I think the key for us as we engage with this passage is in chapter 11, verse 33. You read these three verses. Those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered, when they fall, they will receive a little help and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end for it will come at the appointed time. Will we be wise people? If we are wise people it means we will persevere. Instruct many, though we will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered how are we being called to persevere in faith and faithfulness despite the challenging times in which we find ourselves? That song I referred to earlier has this line in it. Jesus, I'll patiently wait until like a vapour I fade. Help me fulfil all your dreams for these days. Jesus, I will patiently wait. What will it mean for us 
to patiently wait for the Lord to fulfil his plans and purposes? How might we continue to instruct others, showing them what this life lived in the Lord Jesus looks like, a life trusting God looks like? Persevere, instruct many, show others the glory of this life in Christ. Secondly, if we are wise, will we submit to the Lord's discipline? Verse 35, some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless. How is God using these days of trouble to refine and to purify us so that we might become the people that he has made us to be? Charlie Hall sings, Jesus, today I am tired. I need your music to come and inspire, but I give myself to be refined in this fire. But Jesus, today I'm so tired. But what will it mean for you? What will it require that we might give ourselves to be refined by the Lord? final chorus of this song draws our mind to the same place that Daniel his mind is drawn to that great day of resurrection for what Daniel could barely understand is the heart of the vision of our faith that the Lord Jesus will return with a shout and we will be found in him my friends Daniel gives us a vision, a complex picture of chaos and mayhem, this seemingly pointless sequence of invasions and battles and schemes and frustrations. And we will find no explanation by simply focusing on the details. There is no hope in human history. Above it all will we see the word of God and the promise of resurrection life. It's this that makes Christian people persevere despite suffering. It's this that makes Christian people submit themselves willingly and joyfully to the Lord. God says to us, don't be afraid. I will stand at the end and I'll enable you to stand with me. And he asks, do we trust him? Will we trust him again this day, this week? In the name of Christ and for his glory. Let me pray. God our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the strength of your promise. We thank you that you have warned us of troubling times to come and yet you have shown us your victory in the Lord Jesus. Please preserve us in this faith, for Jesus' sake. Amen.